I just love that like nobody ever thinks more than two hours ahead in this film, and that is not <laughs> rectified at all by the end of it. Being. People live in the moment. People live uh, in the moment, man. It's the 90s. Yeah. 1997. The economy's never going to stop acting like this. During the few moments that we have left, I want to talk right down to that. The language that everybody here can easily understand. Hey, 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 boys and ghouls, grimes and gals, this is J.R. Slime, and I'm coming at you with another episode of Slime Time. Now, I want to wish all of you out there in Listenerville a very happy goo year. We're going to start off hot with the Ooze Crew with an interview at 11.45 with disgraced Benford Tools media personality Tim Toolman Taylor following his tell-all expose. I don't think that's a good idea. That is to say, if he's not arrested following his appearance last week at the Capitol Hill protest. Now, Ooze Crew, you guys ever consider yourselves a Benford man? Wait, yes. Yes. this is this is Jr. Slime with Slime Time, right? Um, you're the you're the Ooze Crew. I'm I'm Jeremy, oh. and this is high level casting. Me. Yeah, uh, Ethan, high level casting, Jeremy, Doug. Zach, uh, today I, jungle, I wanted to jungle. be part of the ooze crew. I, I, I can be your ooze can, crew if you need me to, crew. sir. Yeah, absolutely. Ooze crew. What are the prerequisite feats and uh, skill trainings that I need to have to be part of the ooze crew? Uh, you have to have watched Jungle to Jungle starring Tim Allen. Ah, I think we are all extremely qualified. All right, so how do we start this? I want to start by explaining, because this is actually like it's a good story of how we came to watch this movie. Um, yeah. I don't know. I have just have had Tim Allen on the brain recently. Is that a blessing Christmas. or a curse? It's just, I think we know the answer. It's the state of man in our, in our current age. <laughs> I was inspired to watch Santa Claus, the Santa Claus for our Christmas Kringle Continuum episode. And then recently on on social media, I saw an ad for uh, whatever Tim Allen's newest sitcom is. I don't know the name. Don't tell me. I'm going to make the name up right now. It's like oh. last. It's like last dad standing. Or oh, like, you're so you're close. You're but close. I like that better. I dad, like that in the house. Anyway, it's last uh, man standing. Last dad is so much better. Yeah. Last man. He's like where he's like a fucking conservative <laughs> truck nope. broadcaster talking about soy liberals but anyway in the final season apparently the big gimmick is going to be that there is tim allen's character in the sitcom and tim the Toolman taylor from home improvement acted by tim allen will also be in the in the show for a few episodes oh jesus oh no and so right like i'm in this nightmare world where tim allen is just grunting at me left and right and i don't know what i was doing i think i was in the shower or i don't know and just <laughs> the full mind image of the film jungle to jungle the disney late 90s film just i was reminded that i had seen that at least 45 times as a child and i did not tell anybody hey we should watch jungle to jungle i just direct messaged jeremy the words 
jungle to jungle. <laughs> and then an image of the co- the cover of the film with Tim Allen biting the arrow with the tarantula on his shoulder. And Jeremy decided that like, we were going to watch it. I was like, yes, done, sold. That's all you need to do. Like, we're so fucking watching I had a, yeah, I had a shamanic mind image of this film uh, put into me by an outside force. And now <laughs> you all have to suffer the consequences. Oh, no. So, uh, I don't know. What, what did you guys think of, of Jungle to Jungle? Just very quickly. What was your, what was your gut response to this film? A plus. A, a plus movie. Got a lot of heart. Because it's it's a story about family. Uh, I, that's what's so important. I've been reading a lot of Stephen King lately. Uh, I feel like quarantine was the best time for me to get into the Dark Tower series. So um, I felt like a character in that where he has been split into two souls that have to inhabit the same body. And I was simultaneously living through uh, my 1995 child self where my dad took me to the theater to see this in uh, one of the rare father's unbonding moments. Cause I'm pretty sure I saw this in theaters with my dad and then my future self, which was like, experiencing nostalgia but at the same time utter revulsion for a lot of what i was seeing proto trump bumper sticker dads as well as just hearkening back to uh how we felt about indigenous groups in 1997 all packaged uh, very neatly so as a child i feel like i was part of the target demographic you know dads watching trailers and being like "Ooh, this is a film about a father and son i should take my son with me And like a lot of these films, these uh, are also quietly targeted to girls in middle school. It's like the third secret demographic for a film like this. In case, you know, dad also has a daughter. The family. A permanent demographic. Right? Just just those of the whole family. And we'll get into why all those demographics hit later. (laughs) Good stuff. I will say, yeah, this is a very, what, coming out 1997, 98. Mm -hmm. This is a very, I will, I'll say this is a naive movie. Yeah, and that it celebrates that that peaceful time where we were riding up hot. We were like, again, this is an end of history text. Yeah. This is a pre nine eleven text. Yeah, uh, very much so. <laughs> very much so because <laughs> proudly emblazoned in several scenes is the the, the World Trade Center just looming over everything. Yeah, I, uh, I believe like parts of the movie even take place in the World Trade yes. Center. I believe, Absolutely. yes. Like, I think the, the, the boss's office. Yeah, for sure. I like so, how we keep choosing these sacred text films, though. Uh, I believe, you know, at least for me, I'm looking at movies that I have some sort of nostalgic connection with. This is a movie that I watched many, many times as a child. Like Bartok, like Santa Claus, this is a movie where, like, pieces of it, just little bits... I have forgotten what the movie was about mostly, but little bits of the movie were still in my brain that I could recall like 25 years after the fact. Zach, had you previously watched Jungle to Jungle or was this your first time? I I have previously seen Jungle to Jungle. (laughs) You Um, have been jungled. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have. I have, quote unquote, been jungled in my lifetime. And so much like Tim Allen, I was... I was obligated to watch this film this weekend. I was obligated. So uh, <laughs> he's he's obligated to relive every one of his films every year. 
culminating in uh, on December 1st where he transforms into Santa Claus. Oh, no. Anyway, before we get into our free form, free talk discussion, I want to talk about a little bit about the history of this movie because it's actually very interesting compared to some of the other movies that we've covered. So this movie comes out in 1997, but it's actually, our story starts in 1994. There is a French family comedy movie called Un Indian dans la ville, an Indian in the city, right? Coming out in 1994. Indian in the city was very popular in France, I guess. And Disney executives decided, hey, we should... We like this. This is a good family-friendly concept. Uh, we should steal it. And so they first took this movie, and then they distributed it in America for a limited screening. They took the French movie itself, and then they dubbed it over with like some of their cartoon voice actors and released it. And it was excoriated by critics it was despised roger ebert gave it a coveted zero star review there is a beautiful line from one of these critics i i need to read whatever may have been funny possibly nothing about the popular french comedy american audiences can watch it vanish before their eyes this film has been dubbed into english so dreadfully that it becomes a discordant horror oh no in Ebert's review, he softly threatens his audience, if you ever choose to see this movie, I will not allow you to read another of my reviews ever again. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> the, the American release of this movie, which they, they gave the name Little Indian Big City, was excoriated. So they decided instead, hey, let's just remake the movie. With Tim Allen. Um, following the Santa Claus, right? This is Tim Allen's golden boy hour, right? He starts early off in his life running drugs across the border, spending jail time. But now he is a beloved household star, right? Home improvement, Santa Claus. I think looking back, my household was a Tim Allen household. I watched the Santa Claus 69 times a, a year. I watched Jungle to Jungle 420 times a year. We had so many VHS recorded episodes of Home Improvement because Tim Allen spoke to a certain subset of the American audience that that maybe Seinfeld didn't. Well, he's a Midwest boy. Yeah, he's a Midwest boy. He's all about them traditional. You know, back in the 90s, it wasn't as culturally loaded as it is now. But he was all about like manly manliness right i want to take a moment to really like break down this kind of cannonball run for tim allen real quick the 10 years of film not television so mind you this doesn't have home improvement involved right but starting in 1994 the santa claus really was his breakout from tv then you have toy story meet wally sparks Jungle to Jungle for Richard for Poorer, Toy Story 2, Galaxy Quest, uh, a Buzz Lightyear Oof. spinoff, Joe Somebody, Big Trouble, Santa Claus 2, then Christmas with the Cranks. Hell yeah. Just a marathon of golden films. Right? Uh, Just that either, either he is voicing in Disney or he's hitting these B comedy films. Right. And, and they're all ones that like, if you lived through this decade, they all kind of stick in the back of your brain where like, it's a picture of your face, but lightly overlaid is a picture of Tim Allen grunting. Uh? And that's like, 
the late nineties to early two thousands. Like that's, yeah. that's existence right now for, um, for a brief period of its history. Tim Allen was integral to Disney's plan to conquer the earth. Oh no. Anyway. I, yeah. I, great, he almost succeeded great. with galaxy quest. Cause that movie owns, it is a great movie. So I will say in addition to watching jungle to jungle, I also watched a good chunk of the original French film um, without subtitles because I'm hardcore baby. And I got to say, if you read like the Wikipedia for the French movie, it'll say like jungle to jungles plot closely follows that of the French movie. That is not enough. Jungle to jungle is in some places a shot for shot angle for angle (laughs) remake of, of this French movie to the extent that, especially in some of the jungle scenes, I believe they're on the same locations in particular, the scene where Tim Allen and, and his estranged son are on the the riverbank and he gets attacked by a tarantula, literally the same experience watching that with Tim Allen or with this French comedian. Does it chase him up the log? It chases him up the log. Yeah. It's all there and not only all there, but it's shot the exact same way. I would recommend after this, everyone go find the trailer for this movie because you will see, you'll just see the same movie, but like done shittier. It is a shittier movie. Oh no. Great. Anyway, so this film has texture and it's got layers. There's a lot of gooey goodness in this slime crime here. Um, So Zach, you give me the back of the box. Like what is this movie about? What's the vibe? So this movie is... Oh, I got to get character names. Michael Cromo, played by Tim Allen. It does not fucking matter. I'm sorry. You don't need character names. There's one name that matters, and that's Mimi Siku. Mimi Siku. The boy. The other ones is Tim Allen. Anyway, sorry, please. No, okay. So you've got Tim Allen flying to, I don't even know where, some indigenous area to hunt down his ex-wife to get formally divorced so that he can move forward with marrying in 30 days his fiance, who is, quote-unquote, an artist. Heavy um, air quotes. But when he arrives, he cannot seem to get the divorce negotiation situation started and in turn finds out he has a 13-year-old son who he then gets coerced, tricked, I was obligated into taking back to New York with him. And from there, it's just whatever sort of fun Disney tries (laughs) to cook up in terms of we've got, we've got Tarzan in New York city. Like, what do we want to do? And, uh, and it's, and it, and it boils down to Tim Allen slowly realizing what it is to be a father and growing sentimental attachment to this young Mimi, Mimi Siku. Uh, I will say this is a classical comedy of manners, uh, yeah. much like My Fair Lady, much like the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. It's, it's really like it's an artistic genre that we kind of left behind. Yeah. In, in recent decades. I mean, without um, this movie, I would know not to just like blatantly kill like pigeons, you know, yeah. off of people's apartments while I'm they're right, on the apartment. The shot you are with bow and arrow. With a bow yeah, and arrow. Yeah. With yeah. bow and arrow. Yeah, but you missed like, it's about a self-absorbed commodities exchange broker who makes a short deal that goes bad. And then hijinks ensue as they try to recoup their, their investment. 
in the the B plot of this movie that nobody fucking cares about and no yeah. child would be able to understand. Um, <laughs> I definitely <laughs> forgot about the B plot yeah. of this movie. Like to the it's point the where coffee. I was like, we I don't know if I've seen when yeah, sell the coffee. Like, so, there's, there's no like setup for like anyone understanding how stocks work in this film. Right, right. Like it just happens. Which this would be a good place for it where Mimi Siku doesn't understand like how, you know, if you want to go like the the very stereotypical like primitive man doesn't understand the big city, we could have an explanation of the stock exchange, right? Like that's a a, a thing they could do because I remember watching this as a kid and I distinctly remember now that like there is this plot through the entire movie of Tim Allen and his his sidekick Martin Short buying coffee futures the price of coffee going down and like the conflict of the movie arising from that. But I didn't understand an ounce of it. Right. I don't know why the Russians want to kill him. Does their representation of trade actually like, was it correct? Uh, Because because, uh, they made it sound like they were buying like physical beans of coffee, not stocks of coffee. No, that's like, how that's how a commodities market works. And this okay. is this is uh, <laughs> we I don't know. This is this is Jr. Slimes financial market review, baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, just tell me if I need to buy or sell. Just tell me if I need to buy. Or sell. Uh, so so yeah, this is how it works up until when Martin Short decides to go to the Russian mafia to sell his coffee futures. Anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, I would say it's an accurate depiction of like what you do. It doesn't fucking matter. I call that an opportunity. Tim Allen's character is a, he's a high finance guy, right? He's all about making money and he's all much like the Santa Claus. It's the same character in the Santa Claus. And really the pathos of the movie is like what happens in the movie is completely different, but the emotional plot of the movie is the same in that Tim Allen has chosen success over quote unquote, what's really important. And he has to learn to love his estranged son. But Jeremy, we pointed out yesterday that what's actually important is that we're dealing with coffee futures, which is in the real world, the only meaningful relationship between Tim Allen's village and his son's village. Just like the only connection between him and his son is their uh, libidinal energy. (laughs) They both love fucking it. So, um, Right, Zach, you set it up. He needs a divorce so he can marry his quote-unquote artist girlfriend. So he goes to Venezuela. Specifically, he goes to the Canaima National Park. Now, this is a real place. And I was very interested in this because in the beginning of the movie, you get like background shots of the Tepuis, the the plateau flat mountains. And I was like, is this like, are they just picking some bullshit place in South America? No, this movie was shot in part in Canaima National Park, which is in Venezuela and Guyana. And that's where these mountains are. It was shot with indigenous people that live in the national park, like on that reservation. Anyway, that's where he goes. And he finds out that his estranged wife has been living there for 13 years. Just off the grid, even though it's very easy to get a satellite phone set up here, apparently. It's very much not off the grid, but it is off the grid. I want to make one point, a comparison between the French movie and the American movie that really stuck with me. In the French movie, when the Tim Allen character sees his wife for the first time, she has like a bowl cut, like the 
the haircut you see amongst the indigenous people and like her hair is a little disheveled and stuff. The first time you see the wife, I think her name is Patricia in Jungle to Jungle, she has like this beautifully, like very much uh, mom hair. And I was like, damn, hairspray. They got plenty of hairspray here <laughs> in, right. in Lipo Lipo. The city is so nice. They named it twice. Plenty of hairspray <laughs> and plenty of Tim Allen casually dehumanizing indigenous people. Right. Oh, no. Early on in this film, like very few of the characters are likable in any fashion. Exactly. Like, I don't like, like anybody. Like, I don't like the child just cares about fucking let's let's get it out there. about giving away pots. If you yes, know what I mean. Giving away pots left and right. Giving a pot here is like giving flowers. It's a love gift. He's very popular with the girls. Maybe he is mine after all. Let's just kind of think about Patricia's situation, which is becomes very clear because she's never ever told her still husband that he has a son and she's had 13 years to do this. After 13 years. She didn't divorce him, she just left. One thing real quick. So you were talking about Mimi Siku and his pot giving tendencies. Did you notice that the first frame that they introduced him, it was a close up of his 13 year old abs? Hell yeah. So <laughs> This movie is very horny. And <laughs> yes, there's definitely a why was this made by a Disney feel whenever <laughs> I like rewatch this as an adult? Because there's just a lot of things going on in like 1997 Disney family comedy that a lot of strange choices. First of all, like very much ignoring the problems that the mother uh, where like it's illegal for you to like move out of state without the consent of your divorced <laughs> husband. There's a lot that wife. is, yeah, yeah, none of this like, would work legally <laughs> in a modern setting. Like, oh, absolutely not. Well, they... They explain that to some degree. Yeah, in like two sentences where and like that, and they that never communicated. Too communicated. absorbed. Right, exactly. He was, yeah, he didn't he didn't know he didn't understand he didn't realize yeah. it. He was too busy selling beans. He didn't right. know his wife was out of the country. For 13 so years. Jeremy, you mentioned that part of the the interest group for this movie is like preteen, early teen girls. And yeah, yes. Sam Absolutely. Huntington as Mimi Siku is like that's definitely supposed to be like the preteen heartthrob. Right. He's looking good. He's got the beautiful long hair. Like he, he's got a good look. I can't lie. You know, like he's rocking. I'm sorry, man. Like the whole time I was watching that film, every time it zoomed in on that kid, all I saw was 11 from Stranger Things. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> every time. And I was like, no, Zach, you're I'm like, no, like there it is. Like it was, it was interesting with that frame. Well, uh, especially their commitment to keeping him uh, in indigenous clothing. Um, yeah. Like for like 80% of the movie until like until near they, the very until end. They, Dress him in Jinkos and it looks fucking awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remove the okay. loincloth and give him so, give him a pair of boxers or something. So no one's likable. Like the uh, Tim, <laughs> Tim Allen is yeah. self-absorbed. He only wants to make money. He's chasing them coffee bean futures. Uh, and then Patricia has been so ingrained in her research that uh, all she cares about is her, her work in anthropology and uh, the family that she's built. But for some reason is a-okay with shipping her son off to a foreign country with a man that he does not know. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, what she just fuck? gives away parental rights because by, she's like, by these... Yeah, she's insisting yeah. on it. She wants to, like, he is a man now. We are going to recognize him, which, you know, fair. Like, this is a culture that he's grown up in, so he is technically a man. He has autonomy. That's cool. But also, at the same time, like, 
no one is like cued in on anything by her. She doesn't communicate with Mimi Siku to explain to him the world that he's going to. And right. she does not explain to Tim Allen. Tim Allen doesn't realize that it's his son's like coming of age ceremony. Like right. until halfway through it, when she finally tells him, even though he's been there for like two days. And so like at any point, I, I don't want to give like a family comedy, like too much shit, but at the same but time, you should though. I should, though, because, like, if you look at any of these situations for more than three seconds, more than a child's gaze, <laughs> they completely fall apart. They do, yeah. Like, if you if you put any cre- thought into <laughs> trying to unpack it, it is none of this movie makes sense. But it doesn't matter because we got, he's peeing on a houseplant. Right, I'm just glad they got That's the spider the through customs, like, because right. I want angry spider scenes throughout my movie, and I appreciate them. So Tim Allen, yeah, he meets his son, realizes his son is like a badass hunter. And there's this point where like at first Tim Allen doesn't think his son speaks English. And then he surprises him by speaking English on the on the boat. He is not really interested in this kid. I feel like this is a Santa Claus thing, too, where he reaches like, oh, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. But then like has the eye point where he like meets eye contact with his son and is like. I have to do the right thing. Yeah, this is a divorced dad text for sure. (laughs) Which Tim Allen was all over in this time. Well, I mean, and I may be in the wrong here, but I'm at this point in the film, I'm giving Tim Allen a break. All right. Yeah, no, me too. His wife ran away to another country and didn't tell him for 13 years that he has a son. Of course, he's not going to want that kid. Right. Yeah. I, I pretty agree. Like, it's, what what do you say to that kid? But yeah, they do kind of bond over the fact that Mimi Siku is a player. And oh, absolutely. Giving away pots. And so my favorite, Alan is like very proud. My favorite scene in the whole movie, it's, it's after he breaks off from Tim Allen and he's just exploring the city on his own. And mm-hmm. like at one point he's staring through the glass window of this like kitchen store. And he looks directly into the eyes of a teen girl next to him and like points towards the glass and just goes. Hard cut. (laughs) At a crate and barrel. Also, yeah, the mom takes the girl away and she's like, mom, to show that even in the big village, this kid is slaying like, he got, he got everybody game. they want to see those preteen abs they want to have weird dry kisses over the in the moonlight this is weird okay anyway i should set up that like they kind of try to explain why mimi siku needs to go to new york and that the chief of his village says that in order to become a tribal leader in the future you must go and take fire from the giant woman in this other village, that being the Statue of Liberty, right? I've been thinking about this and it has to be just a ploy by the mom. Yeah. Like that's because they don't know about the statue in New York. Like they, they got the they got the little representation. Yeah. I know, I but wanna... it's all like it's her planting. Like you yeah. need to go there and do this. I will like, say the chieftain to do like that's my thought. In, in my reading of the movie, it's not a literal command by the chief. It's like he's trying to 
teach this kid a life lesson. It's like, yeah, you gotta right. go spend time with your dad. Go, go you do. Got, you gotta learn. Go how complete the other this challenge. But I also want to know like what other people's challenges have been. Like just right. to get like some sort of standard going on. Because it seems like such a ridiculous ask. Because but we got this wanted, plane right here. Because if Tim Allen wasn't here, like I just love that he somehow teleports onto the outside of the Statue of Liberty. Like there, uh-huh. those windows are sealed. Like you cannot go yeah, through yeah. them. Yeah, he climbed so he, up the body. It is yeah. established in the beginning. He's a good climber. He loves yeah. climbing. He just he, he just freehands that shit, and uh, yeah. Uh, would earn much respect from the bouldering community. No chalk, baby. That scene. In the, the 2010-2015 fake adaptation of this movie, a bunch of like white dudes with dreadlocks would be like, sick, dude. Like oh. Jeremy was saying, you don't want to just sit here and try to tear apart a family film, but it's just like <laughs> there's a lot of issues with this movie. This movie's usually. asking for it. But like, I still can't get past this. Like, how does he even get into the country? Like this kid doesn't right. have a passport. He ain't got his shots. He like he ain't have... got. He's got nothing. Like he has a loincloth. He has a giant ass spider. That's yeah. what he's got. Right. He probably All was right. threatening okay. people with customs. <laughs> I want to talk about repre- in a movie like this. Representation is important. We need to look <laughs> at like the unspoken voices. And I want to talk about representation of tarantulas in this film. There is an important character named what? Mytika. Mytika. Maitika is Mimi Siku's pet tarantula. And by pet, as you said, Jeremy, it's like his fucking dog. Oh, yeah. He just has a pet tarantula. You could just replace in every scene. This would be what a dog does, like, every time. But it's a fucking giant, beautiful spider. You know what? This is a tarantula discourse film. Especially in this time period, we get a lot of tarantula movies. We got, uh, um. I just need one. This out. What's the Macaulay Culkin movie? Home Alone. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I kept wanting to say Home Improvement. <laughs> He's got Tim Allen on the brain. Uh, I got. I got. There's too much. Uh, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> so uh, in, in these movies, tarantulas are pictured as like the ultimate alien evil, right? It's like right. this hideous monster that everyone hates. And this movie kind of challenges that, right? There's a kid who loves this tarantula. Anyway, in the famous poster for this movie, there is a Mexican red-kneed tarantula, Brachypelma smithy, depicted on Tim Allen. Mytika is actually, I believe, a Goliath bird-eating spider, Theraphosa blondi. Actually, Mytika is represented by at least two different tarantula actors in the film. You can tell because they're two different genders. You can easily gender a mature tarantula by the robustness of its abdomen. And in the first part, you see that it has it's a male because it has a shrunken abdomen. And then later on, you see a more robust female spider. I was grossly offended, though, in that, like... Yeah, we need to do the work, guys. Um, Do the work. It's a plot point in this movie... That Mimi Siku kills flies to feed to Maitika. I'm offended because tarantulas don't eat dead prey. They have to catch it themselves. They like in the tarantula community, you don't feed them dead things. You have to put a live thing in the cage. Also, they don't just eat flies every day. That's pretty metal. A blondie like Maitika would eat one mouse a month or so, and then just like like eat once a month, and and that's how it 
sustains itself. So anyway, I'm going to give I'm going to give this movie a a C minus clap back. Do the work on spider representation. It goes okay in some places. It could do better. Do the work, guys. Speaking truth to power, Ethan. If you scream, Maytika attack. If you're calm, Maytika nice. You guys were mentioning earlier the the lacking amount of combined interests or between the father and the son. And, well, Maitika ends up becoming one, but he leads us to, again, develop and improve upon the hound dog nature of these two. And when Maitika gets lost in the house, the first thing Mm -hmm. he does is he uses the opportunity to slip in Maitika, Maitika, Oh, like and oh, the look under like, the and he's like he's like oh nice poochie pooch like and she's <laughs> right. like it's the last poochie pooch you're ever gonna see she says and runs away to hide in the bathroom for so let's this child is terrifying like I just want to point <laughs> it that is out. yeah he's like and he uh, knows what he's I think he's honest he's looking for he's looking for my Tika anyway let's let's back up let's get to America let's introduce the other characters in this movie we got Martin Short as a Martin guy Short. whose name I don't know. It's uh, Martin Short Martin playing Short. Martin Short. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Allen. Yeah. Tim Allen's sidekick. He is neurotic. He's constantly on a verge of a breakdown. He's I, the one. He fucks everything up. I, like, I I really enjoy him in this just because I had forgotten Martin Short. And so like seeing him just like <laughs> lose his goddamn mind. Anytime the futures are in jeopardy, he's just screeching at the top of his lungs. Right. Oh, God, I'm dead. I'm going to lose my house. Where will my children live? Richard, 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 Richard. Which is like a true, you know, deep fear of like the high stakes gambling lifestyle of a New York stock exchange worker. We'll see. That's where Tim Allen solved the problem in that he doesn't have a family. Exactly. (laughs) So we meet Tim Allen's bride to be, Charlotte. She is a fashion designer, like high society. She calls herself an artist, but she's very much a stereotypical look at high art fashion in New York City. She's very self-absorbed. She's very vapid. She doesn't know where the jungle is. She's like, oh, where's the jungle? She's constantly followed by a knockoff sting. <laughs> a video producer is like, you yeah. don't care about the jungle love. Uh, I and thought Tim he Allen like a it. knockoff spike from Buffy the Vampire. Yeah, yeah he, looked, he had a little bit of that spike, you know, like blonde hair. Yeah, he, he's got like the the high art British thing. And his he's doing like a little documentary film. And I only mention that because his cameraman and sound guy are like offensive gay stereotypes. Anyone see that? Like the, the high lisping, the, the gasping documentary crew. I because there's the one guy that says he's doing a Fay Ray. Yeah, he's doing a Fay Ray and then passes out. Yeah, I think that's part of the crew. It doesn't. Okay. Yeah, but he shows up again anyway. There's a funny joke where like he faints again, and the other stereotype gay guy is like, "Oh, you're such a cliche," <laughs> which is what I said before he said it. So I thought that was pretty funny, and so. The movie from this point, like there is kind of a plot that shows up later, but the movie from this point is Mimi Siku being put in various social situations and failing to meet expectations. You know, just New York hijinks, baby. <laughs> New York hijinks, fish out of water. 
Especially when he kills and eats the fish. He's not like intimidated. Nothing phases him. He's like, yeah, those are buildings. I've seen those before. He walked in and made New York his bitch like from day one. Yeah. He's like, I, yeah, yeah. he's like, I've seen, I'm not impressed. Like, shows how we're living. He took a bite out of the big apple. I mean, he t- he's not but really a found, fish out of... And he found the worm, baby. <laughs> he himself is not a fish out of water. He's the, he's the one making everyone else feel awkward, especially my favorite scene with him in it, where he's just full on the counter, just eating cat food. And <laughs> just, yeah. Just owning it. Oh, God. This much tasty. Your female makes good food, baboon. Oh! Oh, Louis, you are such a cliche. So, at this point... There is a problem in that, like, the main plot of the movie, which is Tim Allen needs to learn to love his son, just sort of runs out of gas. Yeah. One of the big reasons is because, like, the the Coffee Futures plot has to keep going and the relationship with this fashion designer has to keep going for some reason Mm -hmm. because none of these things are tied together. So Right, right. He uh, eventually just treats Mimi Siku... The same way that like your your millennial friends do when they leave town, but they have to leave their like labradoodle. So they're just like asking their friends to watch their dog, but their dog right. is their like thirteen year old indigenous child that's full fish oh, out of water. No. Will we'll, like no. like kill and eat your cat. Like on the don't worry, he doesn't need to be babysit. He doesn't need to be babysat. And then, then like two seconds later, he's looking at Mimi and he's like, don't kill anything. And Mimi's mm-hmm. like, I guess I won't kill anything. And then he just doesn't listen to him. And he just goes outside and murders like, you know, city wild. Right. Yeah. He just doesn't learn to not kill. Like you realize he had, he jumped off the balcony over to the building next to the balcony next to him to get that pigeon. And, oh, then, yeah. and yeah. then what did he do? Did he go through that woman's apartment to get down? Oh no! <laughs> when he runs out of the building and they see, give a close up of him like walking barefoot, and it pans up, and you just see the dead pigeon hanging from his his loincloth. Kind of owns. I love that. <laughs> no. Also, direct. And then he gives it the to room. the homeless man. No, yeah, and yeah. then the homeless man he, is just like gives that like head tilt of like, I guess I'll give it a try, <laughs> and that's how you know it's a film made in the nineties because even the homeless people are like, ah, it's okay. Like, I guess yeah. I'll eat a raw pigeon and this is funny (laughs) why not dude (laughs) yummy yummy uh so yeah the only thing kind of like a plot is that he really wants to go to the statue of liberty but tim allen keeps putting him off and so he's like i'm gonna go myself and so there's that friction between we don't understand each other and the first time they like have fun together is I don't remember exactly when it happens, but it's the where they're in Central Park. Is it the like the hippie dancer? Yeah, it's yeah the hippie they dancer. run into the dance, which is, I believe, the whitest thing I have ever seen. Yes, yep. it is so bad. The it dancing is, yeah, is I, just I, limbs. I, I thought it was it rusted so like root for a second. <laughs> yeah, it's very much a rusted root <laughs> energy. But yeah, it was like cringy and it's like very short. And then it cuts to back in the apartment and Tim Allen's like, I haven't danced like that in years to show that he has changed. Right. Yeah. right? It's a very post-racial scene too. Like <laughs> but it's everybody's not, it's happy like, together, you know, but at the same yeah, time, a, it's the whitest thing you've ever seen. There's an Orthodox Jewish guy with, yes! the, with the, yeah. in the center of the shot. Yeah, and he's, he's partying. There's yeah, well, it is it is New York. We've yeah. solved everything. 1997. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, in high society, we got Tim Allen's fiance Charlotte. She's like 
This is something I wish was in the French movie. In the French movie, this character is... So you notice her apartment has like an Eastern theme. She's wearing kimono all the time. Mm -hmm. In the French movie, she's like obsessed with like very white, very commercialized transcendental meditation. So whenever she gets like really stressed out, she does like a very fake, like your joke representation of what meditation would be, Mm -hmm. which is funny because like she's obsessed with this this foreign culture, but she also like literally calls the child a savage at one point. Yeah, she's sampling from the platter of culture. Right. I wish that was in this movie, like to show that vapid like consumption of other cultural because there's a point where the fake sting, fake spike documentarian is like, you need to stay with this kid because the rainforest is hot right now. This can only be good for your image. And she's like, okay, where's the rainforest? So At this point, we need to have a plot to make movie happen. And so this is where the coffee comes back. Thank God. The the coffee's price is going down, and that means Martin Short and Tim Allen are in trouble. So Martin Short decides to go to the Russian mob to try to sell Yeah, because the the one thing this movie is missing is Eastern European stereotypes. Yeah. That's what it fucking needs. I don't care what the character's name is. I'm just going to call him Ivan. (laughs) It's Winchester from MASH. Yeah. The Russian representation in this movie is just as offensive as a tarantula representation. And that, like, yeah, he's a caviar mogul. His mom, who is a babushka, is, like, serving him tea. (laughs) And there's a beautiful portrait of Joseph Stalin behind him. And so he's a very cartoony character in that, like, he's quirky and funny, but also threatens to cut off the fingers of many characters throughout the film. (laughs) So there's some deep ties here right now because uh, I I don't want to segue too far off the beaten path uh, and something that we can Uh talk about towards the end is how this is Mm. post-woke Pocahontas (laughs) Disney, right? And basically it's super regressive for what they tried to do with Pocahontas a few years prior. But the actor who plays this character, David Ogden Steers, he plays Governor Ratcliffe. And oh no! Shit. So we have a direct main character villain uh, tied to this. He also, uh, if you recognize his voice, he also plays uh, Jumba, the mad scientist from Lilo and Stitch. So he's done actually oh a whole God. lot of voice work. Like he sounds like the Russian because he has been the right. Russian he's, he's in a got lot that. of animated films. I didn't know I that. That's, Rad, Rad I think that's pretty cool. Actually, yeah. like maybe he voiced the. In the Disney translation of the original film, maybe he voiced that guy because they took a lot of their. He took a lot. They took a lot of their cartoon voice actors to voice the characters, which is part of the reason everyone hated it. (laughs) (laughs) It is this weird disjunct, but maybe that's it. I think that's pretty cool. Anyway, we got to get to the point where it gets weirdly horny for a children's movie. Yes. At what point (laughs) is that? Because. I feel like it's been on that level. Yeah, it's been on that level for a while. Yeah, but but it it definitely peaks with the introduction of Karen. Right. So Karen is actually introduced early on when we first meet Tim Allen's fiance. I was thinking about that scene earlier, and it's such a weird... They're just like, hey, let's just like throw everyone... Right. All these side characters in together at once. Like, let's just get this over with. That's when you meet the fiance. Mm -hmm. That's when you meet Martin Short's family that's when you meet the uh what what did you say the uh, he's the, oh, sting the, yeah, yeah knock off sting. Diet, diet sting baby diet <laughs> sting. i like that yeah dr thunder that's when you sting. meet that's i want to be everyone sting. all at once yeah 
there, she's like Karen's getting a fitting or something. That's the Mimi Siku's introduction to like the high society. So it makes sense in that Karen is getting fitted for the wedding. The since Charlotte oh, the is wedding. a fashion, Charlotte's uh, a fashion designer, so she's designing all the dresses for the wedding. That makes um, sense. And so she's being it just happens to be being fit at that time. Anyway, Mimi Siku is swerved by the first white woman he sees. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or by the first white girl uh, calling her angel on table. So Karen, the character, loaded term 2021. Um, right. oh. In the French movie, I was I wanted to see how this relationship was dealt with across the two films. Because as we all point out, it's like strangely erotic for characters who are portrayed as being 13 years old. <laughs> the actors are a little older, but still like we're in the sus zone. Karen in the French movie is very much a stereotypical, like disaffected pre-teenager just like the brothers like playing game boy and smart assing all the time she's reading fashion magazines she's listening to cassettes right she's like fuck you dad and so her attraction to mimi is more of a rebellious rebellion thing yeah. the rejection of the authority figure right yeah, yeah it's like dad would fucking hate this right exactly and there's a scene in that movie where they go to a carnival and and mimi does some like antics he does the nerve pinch on a bully kid and they go into a haunted tunnel where they're like spooked by goblins and werewolves and he's like killing all the monsters like taking the fake bat and throwing it and that's when she's like oh he's so sweet he's so like strong in this movie karen is weird she's just like this ethereal love interest like her personality is to be attracted to mimi or, yeah, I was going to yeah, say her personality is thirst incarnate. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> damn! There is a very special scene where, after Mimi Siku has, has murdered the uh, thousands of dollars of exotic fish, they decide right, to yeah. lovingly replace them with fish from the local, like, little brook that they live next Which to. I will- I will say it's my favorite visual gag in the movie. I love that. Yeah, that that is a great gag. Lake trout and the fucking fish thing. (laughs) Oh, this makes me happy here. So, yeah. Uh, But, no, like, the posture of this is definitely, uh, we're at the bar. Let me show you how to play pool. Well, it's it's ghost vibes. It's It's ghost vibes! To me more, like, the, the pot, you know? Like, that's a classic scene. It's literally, like, he's got... It's littered with sexual tension. And yeah, like yeah, the these music olds is presented as like a very like tender, tense moment between these two. It's, it's sus. It would be less sus in the situation if there hadn't already been all of these sexual like undertones that were like mm-hmm. already implanted. Because you right. know, you could tell they were going for the the innocent young love vibe, which you know hallmark of family films because coming of age like you fall in love for the first time you're probably not even in high school yet and it's super mm-hmm. innocent and that's fine but at the same time we have what is has already been established as this very experienced boy that they're not both 13 guys there is a line where um karen herself says 12. dad i'm 12 you need yeah. to leave. which i find <laughs> why isn't which- she 13 why, right, like, why is she right. expressly written as 12? This really no, I, bothers me. I checked and like girls like older men. <laughs> God <Sorry>. damn it. <laughs> so I, I checked the, I, I wanted to know like how old the actors were and they're, they're both teens. They're like 15 and 14. I think maybe the actress is older, but 
again, so they're teens. So it could have been that these were 14 or 15 year olds, which still sus, but like teenage romance, you know, at least in my, yeah, exactly. At least in my understanding of American culture is like 13 is kind of that demarcation line where like now you've entered the sus zone of adolescence of being a teenager where, you know, we got to keep our eyes on you, but why is she 12? Like, why did you do this? For me, the romance is fine. Like, I think the yeah. scene is like, it's, it's cute. It's, it's like cute. the way the music plays with it. He names her a, a name in his native tongue. And then like he the makes her of, like a part of his tribe. Anyway, yeah. And then they fall together in the hammock. But like, what makes it sus for me is the morning after where Martin Short discovers that they're sleeping in the hammock. And she is vehemently denying, literally saying, we didn't do anything. And right. so for me, it's like, She's like, I'm 12, Dad. We didn't do anything. And I'm like, what is anything in your in your imagination? Right. But then like, she also straight up says it wasn't him. I was putting the moves. Right. Him. Which I thought was a cute line. Again, oh. stripped of Which context is, yeah. is a cute line. It's like, I'm exploiting this boy who can't. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, when already this boy has been established in his own culture as a man with all of the rights of men. And so, like, say, yeah, if we want to get into the problematic texture of this film, it's common for these indigenous groups in the Amazon. Like, traditionally, Mimi is at marrying age, and so is Karen, right? right? Like, it's a thing. That's that's how these societies work or, or did in the past, and some of them still do now. It's the context of everything around it. If this romance were in another family film, it would pass the smell test, no problem. It is the issue of this cultural transmission that's going on right here. Yeah. It's Along like, okay. with all of the pot metaphors. But, so okay. You, but let's you, make you it. already have that tone of like... There's a lot of libidinal energy going yeah. on here. We all watched Heavyweights. <laughs> like, these movies, I, I think we're like... The term is experience, but yes. Yeah. We've yeah, we've witnessed. We bore witness. We bore witness. These movies, we're looking at a depiction of children's media that we've been familiar with for like the last twenty years. Like Disney has very much purged any sort of adult content from any of their movies. Which, if we look back to kids' comedy movies of this time period, that sort of randiness, like that that right. little bit of horniness, is in there. Like it's a thing. If you want to look cross-culturally, you look at, like, shonen anime or whatever. Like, it's still a thing in Japanese yeah. culture. Because kids, yeah, like, especially young boys, like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's, like, an excuse. I mean, girls like it, too. I mean, you know, that's right. the, the, the extra audience like, right here. Mimi is eye candy for the girls. Like, straight yeah. up. And so that little bit of titillation is a thing in a lot of these movies. Because that's a thing that kids like. To mm-hmm. some extent. It's just so jarring to go back into a family movie from the 90s and just right. see it You're so very blatant. Surprised. Yeah, yeah, so blatantly marketed where like in Game of Thrones there was so much controversy over how Arya and Sansa and their actresses right. were treated in this adult script. Uh-huh. But then you go back to a movie in 1997 and there's a lot of these similar like awkward themes. And it's, it's just so dense in this film too. It, it really is. It's everywhere. It's why they bond. Like, like one of so the dense. speaking of bonding, when Tim Allen comes back to Lipo Lipo and gives his son 
a pot. He's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, I got something oh, yeah. for you. And he pulls out the creme de la creme, like oh, yeah. shiny, that's a crate, shiny that's a barrel, baby. That's hands it to his that, son. The whole village goes, ooh. Yeah, yeah boy. hands it to his son, and he immediately asks about Karen, and he goes, uh-huh. I don't oh. know, ask her for yourself. And it's just like, we've established what a pot means. Like, and it's just like, you're giving your 13-year-old son, who I, I guess is a man, so like, but it's just like, you know that Karen's like just coming right up the water like you're just right he knows this he he knows what he's doing and it's just like it feels like it's just so heavy-handed that he's like hey go get him tiger and this is later immediately affirmed with the final joke of the movie before the credits where he lifts the pot (laughs) and waves at patricia and then she gives him a randy look back and then he just like (laughs) he puts it behind his back and he's like i don't know maybe like right (laughs) what are you doing later all right hold up hold up again i have the secret knowledge shot for shot like that's the end of the french movie except for the coy tim allen shrug (laughs) yeah the very final shrug applies so much to it we're fucking now so yeah uh to wrap it up the uh, uh, reuniting of the nuclear family is how the film ends. Yeah, yeah. We get the idea. Mimi wants to go back home. He thwarts the evil Russian's plot to cut off Martin Short's finger. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Which we they, can't just we can't just breeze over a Russian plot like that. Yeah, but 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 that's because, it, like <laughs> but but no, we have to okay. talk. I mean, the movie we have, to, <laughs> we have to talk about this scene. At the end, where it's like, okay, this family is going to get murdered, and right. instead, so, so, instead, so, 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 it turns so, so, so. into a Looney Tunes, Tweety, like it is. So, so I want to say that, like in the late '90s, coffee was a very volatile commodity. Uh, the price <laughs> was very unfixed, and so when they sell to the Russians, the price goes down, seeking for them to buy back to not offend the Russians, and the price goes up. You make a fool of Jovanovich. Yeah front of my comrades, my community. You waste my time. You try to cheat me. Now, you must pay. And so, yeah, very volatile market, which I think a lot of finance journalists would tell you the same thing. I just appreciate um, that someone was anyway. <laughs> clean out by a crotch shot in that final scene. Like, that guy didn't just, like, take the pain. He was, he was, he passed out. He did, yeah. That was a powerful crotch shot. But I will say, Zach, I felt the same thing in that I was, as a kid watching this, I felt like menaced by the creepy violence of the movie. Like mm-hmm. one of the thugs just pulls out a fucking gun. Yeah, <laughs> like would not happen in a in an equivalent movie of twenty twenty. Gun, gun going to be in blow dart. Like points to the gun like, in Tim Allen's face. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Like like these men will kill you. But it's also a joke. Like the main, the Russian mob guy is like making joke. He makes a joke about he can't cut off Martin Short's middle finger because you need that one for traffic, which I do <laughs> like that joke. It's cute. But yeah, like the weird disjunction of the threat and the comedy of it is threat like- gets so real so fast. And then they're like, oh, wait, <clears throat> after we introduced all of these like dangerous elements, like, oh yeah, this is gonna be the kids are biting the the Russians. Right, like it's goofy. And the you know, here. Like, like, 
his daughter his daughter is untying him and instead of like you can see the rope is like dude martin like fucking do something you can get out of this and he's like yeah get him kids like yeah like yeah yeah get him it's it's like heavyweights with where it becomes like a war crime movie (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yeah like it's like oh what the fuck is happening like this really adult situation i also want to say that martin short is a terrible father in this movie oh Um, terrible Like, he is just, once Karen has locked herself in a room because he's saying you're going to camp because you sullied yourself touching this boy. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And he's just, like, screaming at her, right? It's, like, to the point where Tim Allen, who doesn't know how to be a dad, is, like, screaming is not a way to deal with a kid. I couldn't help but thinking the entire time because you see Tim Allen doing the exact same things, both as a husband and as a father, just, like, ignoring, not not communicating he's panicking because he's like oh russians are coming and instead of right. like trying to be like hey you know like sweet talk he's just like fucking yelling get out of this like, door yeah, like, it's like, and it's just like this is not or i'll let your uh, little brother set fire to the house yeah i'll smoke, you, smoke out. you out the writing oh, for, no. for these for these fathers at times is just so quintessential like 90s father role that you guys were mentioning before right in in multiple facets but uh, the only man you know he doesn't know how to relate to his daughter i do have a fan theory though for this film so at the end of the conflict with the russians um the police don't arrest them the police never find out about any of this they just (laughs) never get they just leave and so like they just chase them away with the gun and the spider and he, he, like, says some, like, throwaway line, like, I've had many enemies, but none like that spider. Yeah, this is a shining moment for Maitika in that she is the reason that he goes, like, she scares him off. I love I love at the very end of the fight, like, right before Pussy the transition power, to, that, to that scene, he, Tim Allen just goes, you know, I'm really starting to like that spider. Right, yep. <laughs> right. You know what? The Russians are still out there with this vendetta. They've been yeah. embarrassed twice. So mm. why does Tim it's Allen? It's under the rug. Why does why does Tim Allen become part of the tribe, and why does Martin Short and his entire family come all the way oh. to the Amazon? Oh, hey. Hey. all right. Okay. Shit, son. Okay. I'm it's just because, saying. Oh shit, son. And he's like, "Are you going to stay?" And he's like, "I don't know for a maybe a while. while. <laughs> you know, maybe he, a while." <laughs> he also does uh, inadvertently knock out well, the Chavez government. He really does. So, like, so, so yeah, I want to say like after Mimi leaves, this is where Tim Allen becomes disenfranchised with his village. That's you know? right. So it's never left like uh, it's never explicitly said, but we can assume that he leaves that frigid bitch Charlotte. <laughs> like she has done no growth throughout the movie. She still cares about dresses and being popular and then yeah he goes back to the village and shrugs at his ex-wife credit roll (laughs) that's it (laughs) you know i think i can can get behind this 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 theory though jeremy oh yeah absolutely like because they were driving off and i'm like there's still a threat like what's happening because like literally like it follows that scene though where he's just sitting there at breakfast charlie i got a great idea what do you say you and I get the hell out of here? Tomorrow, just the two of us, head out to our favorite spa, that big suite, just get to know each other again? Uh, that's not good for me, darling. Me neither. I really want to film all that, but I've got an appointment with my chiropractor this weekend. 
You know how much my bloody back affects my work. Oh, I know. We could do it a week Friday. That's not good for me. It's good for Ian. I think at that moment, though, you can see, like, Tim Allen. He, <laughs> the fear in his eyes. He, he, well, no fear. He's just like, I'm done with this bitch. Yeah, like, this you know, is where like, I'm done. I'm ready yeah, to go hunt snakes like, in the wilderness. <laughs> I, can I say, this movie predicted the dark alliance between finance bros and, like, Oberlin art thoughts. And also yeah, anthropologists, right? honestly. Like, it, it, yeah, exactly. When he sold out, that's when she left. The Gen X nightmare, right? It's like, right. right. Sold out, man. So, Doug, can you explain to me or join me in a little uh, analysis here of the the quiet opulence that this this film portrays uh, of Empire? Because I believe you and I were kind of touching on that a little bit earlier. So what is fascism if not imperialism directed inward? The direction I come at this movie from is... More so the role that Tim Allen often plays. Uh, And we touched on this earlier with regards to his uh, role in the Santa Claus, where he's he's basically playing the same character in this and that he is character is Tim Allen. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But not home improvement, Tim Allen. Correct. Please continue. Yeah. To, to, To broaden that, he represents an archetype. Many know it as the everyman. But I would say that we can pinpoint this to be a little bit more specific uh, as the every dad and that the, uh, the every dad is trying hard to be the best dad that they can. But mm-hmm. just too many outside factors getting in the way of that. Uh, in the Santa Claus, you had the fact that he was trying to be a, a successful was he a successful businessman? He's like that? a sale. He's a toy salesman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Toy salesman. Okay. Yeah. And, and that draws him further away from his son. Mm-hmm. Of course we have the same thing in that the whole business with the coffee and it keeps pulling him away, keeps him from taking the Siku to the Statue of Liberty. But eventually the every dad, Every time comes around, you learn and, to love and attains enlightened dadhood. <laughs> That's right. The, the thing that I love about these dads is just the sheer amount of square footage in their homes. Yeah, this is a living space it's discourse. <laughs> living space discourse, baby. I think that's a, a common depiction of like homes in new york city around this time because you look at the show yeah. friends yeah right. and well if you, yeah, I mean, if you remember that. he's also he was partner right like he was right so yeah. i will say it's not a situation of like how does he afford this him and his fiance are both probably very well compensated oh right? yes. like, yeah unlike a seinfeld where like you're a comedian but you still but he lives in a dumpy apartment that's still nicer than what any of us could ever right. afford. Well, the, um, well, the point is, is like he's he's directly profiting off of the you know coffee from the ex- like Central and South America. The right, exploitation yeah. of South like indigenous migrant laborers. It's like the moral of the film is family first. Like no job first, <laughs> job first, then family. Because once you've made your money, then it's time right. to get out. So that's what I want to say in that, like, as you said, in this, in the Santa Claus, 
the every dad attains enlightened dadhood after Jeremy, he attains enough capital that he doesn't have to work anymore. That's right, because he yep. can finally spend time with his family. Also, after, specifically in these movies, he attains a magical realism in his life that allows him to escape. In the Santa Claus, he can't relate to his kid until he literally becomes Santa Claus. He does something that is physically impossible. Like, it's magical in the logic of the film. In this one, it's not like a magical thing, but it's a situation that is like impossible in the real world, right? Like, right. The point is, though, is that Tim Allen always, throughout the entirety of the film in both the Santa Claus and in Jungle to Jungle, is he always has the ability to walk away. Like he, right, yeah. he, he is not like he, he is can cash not out. committed or obligated to his boss. He doesn't have debts. He's not trying to work towards some financial goal. And that just shows how far removed these films are from reality. Like from any reality. From, yeah. And like really from even in the nineties, like I remember watching these films, like growing up fairly poor and just thinking that this is how ev- literally everyone else lives. And right. so, which is not true, yeah. and it never has been true. I just really love the fact that, like, once you've made your money, you can afford to be a good person. Like, it's basically <laughs> the lesson being told. And, like, that, like, you have to sell out in order to reach, you have to go through the journey of, like, dehumanizing yourself before you can become a human again. Exactly. And one of the things I just can't slip by is that one of the first jokes in the film when he meets the indigenous family, whenever his wife talks about a litter being born, he looks at an indigenous woman directly in the eye and says, yours? And um, yeah, I, I, that I will take <laughs> with me to my grave, knowing that I laughed at that probably as a child and coming back to it as an adult, just just witnessing like hate crimes on television or in like major American (laughs) cinema in 1997. It's difficult to talk about representation in this movie as four straight white men, right? We're not really at Liberty to talk about it. The racism in this movie is weird in that it's not racism. We would identify in a modern movie it is very casual like dehumanization yeah it's casual dehumanization <laughs> like, that is and isn't overt because it's always played right. off as a as a lighthearted joke right you patricia know? boy you've changed like that was yeah my, like, one yeah of my favorite ones. these are jokes that our dads laughed at you know like oh ho, 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 right yeah but like, like a sensitive chuckle but it wasn't like like, I don't think the movie is hateful so much or like, it's just ignorant. We were so yeah. disconnected from this experience that it's not like in our face. And so we can like, these jokes can be made. But at the same time, Tim Allen makes a joke later in the movie that it's like, it'll be a magic trick if the cabbie can speak English. Oh no. It just like, seems fuck. to me like Tim Allen playing Tim Allen tends to just be a lot of low-hanging fruit jokes oh yeah because he's the every dad he's he's marketing and look at him now like he's marketing himself to now he is a conservative yeah to the low-hanging fruit because that is his demographic i don't want to be unfair to those who uh might not notice how these jokes are dehumanizing like i had to go to college to be able to distance myself enough 
to be able to realize right that, like a lot of this stuff is really like damaging to people i would even say like some of the representation in this movie is good the movie is shot with cooperation with the venezuelan yes. government it's shot with indigenous actors yep. i'm not sure about the language in this movie there's some weird linguistic stuff in it that i won't get into because that's like extreme nerdism but like I believe the language they're speaking is the native language of these mm-hmm. people. Like, except for baboon. Um, <laughs> yeah, except for baboon. And I don't know about like the names and stuff, but like, there's good representation in this movie. And then there's also... Well, what choice do I have? I'm stuck here with you and the village people till you celebrate banana fana fana. Right. It's a mm-hmm. 90s attempt. You, it, know? Yeah, it, like, it, you can tell it, it, it's a brick in the wall of progress or however you want to earn yeah. the road of wh- whatever because it's definitely not what it would have been in the 60s. It's not what it would have been in the 80s. Like, right. I think the fake 2020 version of this movie would fail in a much wilder way and yes. that it would like try to make Mimi or whoever into like a deity type creature, right? Like this... Mm-hmm possible it would deal way too hard with like noble savage archetypes of like yeah it would be it would be regressive in an entirely different it would be regressive yeah exactly how did the the french version handle this sort of very similarly um, i i don't speak french so i can't really uh get into like the particulars of it one thing I'd be interested in knowing is if, because like the boy speaks French in the French movie, I don't know if he speaks broken French. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. The one thing about Mimi and Tim Allen and communicating with him is like the me, Tarzan, you, Jane joke goes on. Like that's how Mimi talks, which does not reflect how a bilingual child would speak at right. all. You would be grammatical if you're talking in English with your with your mother every day, which is probably what would happen in a situation like that in the real world. Anyway, that's like the one thing, like I, if I, I need to have a French speaker watch this movie and be like, yeah, is he, is he babbling? No, I don't know. Visually, the indigenous people are basically, they like, they're represented the same way in, in both movies because I believe, I don't have any real knowledge of this, but I believe that like they both were shot with the same like indigenous group and probably the same like, acceptable film locations on this reservation right mm-hmm. like oh you need a riverside scene you got this space right i was just curious because i i know historically speaking france has had its own like colonialism right and so yeah uh instead of venezuela it's guiana which mm-hmm. is french speaking right. uh, territory interesting thing there one thing underlying this movie is the interest in the rainforest and the indigenous peoples of the rainforest, which is coming to a forefront in the early nineties. Um, I bring up sting specifically because I believe it was sting who had like a documentary thing where he went to go to the Kayapo reservation in, in Brazil oh, in the Amazon. Okay. And so he was like, we've got to save these people in the rainforest. And, it, but it was like a very like, commodified like donate i'm gonna do a fucking uh show and benefit to the to the indigenous people right but like in france too because there's this history of this comes from the history of anthropology in these regions actually sting 
learned about indigenous people by reading Napoleon Chagnon's Yanomamo, the fierce people. And France has that same history of anthropologists came here, learned about life in the jungle, and then came back. And now a bunch of socialites are like, this is the real way to live, right? Like that relationship in France and in America is very similar. In fact, I would say this movie is inspired by, I don't know if you'll know this one, Jeremy. Um, do you know anthropologist Kenneth Good? I've heard the name, I think. So he is notorious for, he wrote a book that's called like In the Heart or something like that. He lived with the Yanomamo during his research and he's notorious for having married and brought back to America. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. His Yanomamo child bride. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, he married a 13-year-old as like a mid-30s man and, uh, and brought her back, raised some kids with her, and then she decided, I'm done with this shit. That's and right. fled back to the reservation, fled back to the jungle. And it's weird because like this is a highly fucking problematic thing. Mm-hmm. That was, he wrote a book about it that was like, oh, and like a lot of people liked that book and like the love story that it told. Mm-hmm. I see flashes of that in this movie, right? We want to talk about the weird horniness of it. I think that's where it comes from. It's like this noble, simple love in the jungle. Right. That, that can breach uh, social boundaries, social and ethical <laughs> boundaries that have been firmly established because of the indigenous nature of it. Right. And I will say now I say with air quotes. Movie, yeah. <laughs> like we look back on that as like, holy shit. Yeah. Never right. fuck. I learned about this situation in a never do that type mm-hmm. of uh, context is like, no, that's fucking bad. But that sort of romantic ideal of like, going native was in the cultural consciousness at the time, both in the United States and in France. So I think that's why Disney decided to adapt the movie when they saw it. It was like, oh yeah, this draws on some things that are in the the collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. We get a a movie that raises awareness about the rainforest. We get to have a few laughs with Tim Mm -hmm. Allen. And then, uh, you know, maybe a few broken marriages are mended for a weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll be uh, be all right as rain. I do think- We all learn something, yeah. I do feel like that looking at the the culture writ large, like just the wide swath, like we need to make a list sometime and and just do a a rundown of the uh, divorced dad comedies and when they're made and when they take place. Because I feel like- not only are they meant to be a reflection of reality, but they're also trying to push that, that fantasy into reality. Like maybe mm-hmm. if we make and market enough divorce dad comedies where you eventually like liar, liar too is another one that just popped into my head where like, if we make enough of these, we can fix the nuclear family, <laughs> you know, like right. each dad's the through theater, through art. The the lie of these movies is that at the end of the day, you can't have it. Either you get back together with your ex or like in Santa Claus, like in this movie, maybe question mark, you can repair the relationship with your son and with your ex-wife, right? Like you can, you can walk away with it. Everyone's friends. We don't have to worry about custody because like we just 
We're, we just we're never fast. involved the law to begin with. <laughs> yeah, we just trade the kids willy-nilly. It doesn't matter anymore. We all love each other. Uh, Santa Claus ends with Tim Allen's Christmas present, and Santa Claus is she just burns the custody papers. And it's like, we'll just play it by ear. That's that's the fantasy of the movie. It's also, right, think a jingle all the way or something like that, where he's yes. not divorced, but he's on the, he's on the he's fence. On, he's on the cusp. Yeah, the fantastical aspect of the movie replaces the work of relating to your son. Mm-hmm. Like, rather than talking to your kid and learning to love your kid, it's like, I'm going to take him on a mystical adventure. I'm going to beat up a and bunch that, of people in costumes at the end of the film, and that will fix that's my That's the narrative through which the child learns to love me. It's like literal magic <laughs> it's it's weird commodities and magic if you can give off a, a big enough performance you know even if you can't get the toy or if you can't get the it's the same thing in liar liar like you have magic but as long as he can make it through this one day all of the future days will be better because he's learned something by the end of it I'm very interested in this subject and I, I'd be like, there, there's a paper in there somewhere. There's a, so right. Mid nineties dads be divorcing kids be romancing. And there's a whole lot of slime, baby. Zach, how do you think uh, your dad feels about jungle to jungle? I bet he's a Tim Allen dad. I bet he's a Tim yeah. Allen. Dad. Oh no. You were saying earlier that your household was a Tim Allen household, like a hundred percent same here like i honestly i can't remember like how many or like what specific vhs's i had and everything we had a lot i'm sure we had a tim allen film but home improvement was a big right right staple for a while there and then like there were other i mean it's no replacement of tim allen but you know you've got like ray romano you've got you've got the other yeah you you, we those hates me yeah there was (laughs) there's always like one of those like stereotypical type of shows like going on i just Uh, i just love like looking back into the past of like home improvement which was such a big staple in my childhood as well and just knowing that like a large you know percentage of the jokes were about invading feminine coded spaces like and that was yeah. and that was the joke, <laughs> dude. What if you had to go to yoga class, but you're a man, dude? Kind of gay. Oh no! <laughs> Credit roll. <laughs> what? The, 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 how do you get over that? How do you get over the hump on this? Like you, you inject it with machinery. You like crank the horsepower, like Dude. there's got to be a flamethrower in there somewhere, and then you can have a man's kitchen, a man's bathroom, a man's yoga studio. Doesn't matter, right? Because we there's horsepower, get, we you can smell the fumes. Like, the magical realism of home improvement, <laughs> it's like, but anyway, that's a, that's a conversation for another mm-hmm. day. Huh? I was thinking this earlier, and you, you guys were bringing up languages and, um. Oh, there was another topic that, but but like one of my favorite <laughs> Coffee futures. They, they the, they're they're at the no point consent. <laughs> they're at no point is any issues with a language barrier between Tim Allen and and Mimi. Right, uh, right. In the beginning, he, he's playing with them. Yeah, he's, he's playing, playing he's with them. Like obviously, there's going to be some areas, but like the only word in the entire film that has mm. to be explained to him is the exact word that is used as a plot device later right. on. Good point. To, Good point. To, to create 
a needed tension moment in that exact spot of the film because like English is often considered one of the more difficult languages because there's so many dual meanings. Yeah, yeah he chooses yeah. to explain obligation in such a short, like, because he's like, okay, how can I just tell this kid? Like, he doesn't really give him a proper answer. What means obligated? Obligated. It means when you do something that you don't really want to do. Okay. This is a word he uses a lot, so he he sets himself up for a for a pitch trap later on. I was just like, this seems just kind of kind of shorthanded to me, but I thought like that was funny. Like the only thing that he has to explain to him, he doesn't explain anything about the language. He doesn't explain anything except for the word obligated. The moment he gets to to act as a father and he fails, like, yeah, and it blows up in his face like later that day. Like, that's the one he runs like into four time. hours later, he's like, oh, I fucked myself. Like, you know, like the yeah. one time he doesn't treat his son like a labradoodle, it just blows up <laughs> in his face. Much like Heavyweights, I, I love this movie because it very clearly has a script that was just hammered out over a weekend, <laughs> over lunch with giant post-its. Well, no, you know? <laughs> like they already had a script. In I know, <laughs> they already had a script, so they just had... They had someone translate it. They had like one guy. Uh, yeah, sprinkle a little Tim Allen spice over them. Like All right. It. So like, what word did they use? Did he explain? Oh, that one's not going to work. <laughs> uh, obligate, right? Like I have to be with my kid because it's also, that's also, oh wait, whoa, just a big moment. The word obligate is also ha- has like, a, I'm sure a lot of PTSD moments for any kid who had to spend weekends with one parent because. No. <laughs> Custody. Yeah, like you are obligated to visit your father. Yeah. Your father is the father is obligated to pick up his kids, even though he's like spending the weekend. He wants to spend the weekend with his new girlfriend, his nineteen-year-old like, new girlfriend. Re- relationships are obligations. Family is obligation. It is not love. It is not genuine. But that that's that's before his turning point, right? That's mm-hmm. that's when when he realizes that he's a piece of shit. But but not enough of a piece of shit to realize that he stole it's the capital up to from it, like the entirety of Central. America. If I recall correctly, he like it might have been one of my more memorable like chain of scenes from the film in just like little ways because I don't know if you guys maybe uh, caught any like weird one liners or I-, I remember when he was just like here gave him Captain Crunch and he was like you put milk on this and that's your breakfast and I remembered like when that was going on I was just like I was just like he. This is. I'm gonna wait for this. Like, and then he comes back out. He's like, "Oh no! What are you doing?" Like, he's like, "Oh wait, I didn't tell you about." Mama me should have been like Bean Dad. Bean Dad. Date this episode. But so so you have these like little Tim Allen dad jokes. But then he leaves because uh, to build off of your point, Jeremy. Because I kind of tangent there. But um, he like he goes to work and he's just like because there's moments you, you start seeing like the development of not even necessarily caring about his kid, but just like maybe opening his heart up past money. Like he's just standing in in his office. He's like, you know, it's been like 15 years since I've even looked at that statue out right, there. Yeah. Like you know, it's we like get- you can. You can feel him remnant. He's just like, oh, I should take some pictures of Mimi. And like, you know, because he's seeing the family photos. And and it's just like, so you start to see him at that point. I feel like he, he starts. To- we'll see. Yeah. Like by the end, when Mimi says, I want to go home. Right. The mm-hmm. turn is now Tim Allen's like, well, after tomorrow, you got to because I want to show you Fourth mm-hmm. of July and stuff like. So like 
he wants him to stay so he can keep showing him yep. this world. I would say compared to like the Santa Claus, the well, I don't know. Santa Claus is weird in that he becomes a dad by be like losing his humanity. Right. But like again, the God, that's such a literal way of like bringing yeah. up Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Weird. Like, he loses uh, his humanity. But like the relationship between the father and son is <laughs> a holiday lit. By, by the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by the Santa Claus three, he is like sitting at the council of like holiday spirits. He is no right. longer human. He is bought into it. He is given into godhood, and it's hard to be a god. It's tough to be a god. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, did you guys learn anything about sound investment strategy in this movie? Uh, I, I coffee. Learned... Coffee's a big deal. <laughs> Sometimes I, even, so I sit here, I sit here in these and I'm just like, I just, I'm just like, oh, wow. What the fuck is Ethan? Like, we all learned a little bit about, you know, did you explain to me what a sound investment strategy is? If, if you're going to short sell a commodity like coffee. <laughs> oh, that uh, sound as in, sound as in like, like a, 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 a yeah, guaranteed yeah. thing. I thought you meant like. Echo, like sound, like sound <laughs> investment. I was God like, what damn the it. Fuck is sound? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want you to like invest in Bose headphones, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I mean, I don't even know. 300 lots of coffee futures. You call that a hunch? No, Richard. I call that an opportunity. 300 lots in this market is not an opportunity. It's a death wish. Oh, ye of little faith. No, no, no. Me, a big mortgage. We're yeah. in the clip breakdown, so I want to talk about the cat scene where, like, uh, Tim Allen shoots the cat with the blow dart, and the cat passes out, and, like, the joke is the cat is, like, ragdolling, and he's got to do he something. He kind of proceeds to fuck the cat up. Like, he's, yeah, like, tossing so- it around and... Earlier in the film, he establishes that, like, cats just sleep. He never had to do anything. Just leave the cat alone. Right. Yeah. The cat's like, just the a cat. Joke, the jo- yeah, like, take the needle out, and, like, the cat will sleep until it wakes up. That's what a cat does. But the joke is like, oh, my God, I fucked it up. So I had a theory about that scene in that I think in an early version of this movie, that cat was actually dead. Oh, they that, killed the cat. And yeah. that they just – because if you, like, listen, the cat is purring – they and it's like purr deep in. purrs, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure they just 80 yard that in. So people knew that the cat wasn't dead. Right. Because of how Ooh, that yeah, cat was testing audiences were like, they killed the cat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, like, that, right, and say, then there's literally one scene later and he's like, boy, you sure did sleep good last night. Huh? bud?" like uh-huh. that was, yeah, they show the cat alive. Right. <laughs> what, what I think is also Sorry, funny is in like, and, and most of these comedies where like you, you torture, or uh, abuse like a person or an animal. They've at least done something in the film to <laughs> kind of like deserve it. The cat's the, the cat's just just there. It's a the white cat owned by an art rich. It's yeah, cat. That's, well, let's that's like break this down because I thought that this was kind of an interesting like because he obviously doesn't target the cat. It's a weird like wonky like haha right. like funny moment like yeah bounce 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 like yeah um. But like, it's kind of what. What does it mean to you that like he had to? He was waiting until she went to the because he even like checked around the corner. She's like, okay, she's in the shower. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with with this 
this thing of my son's like it's like he's like he can't even attempt to gain interest in the things that his son has like around his fiance he's like oh hold on i gotta make sure that she's away in order before i even like touch this like i thought it, i i, I was just like hmm, i do i do think it's funny that the uh you know like she's she's mean and awful so like you know theoretically like she gets she gets what's coming to her is kind of the lesson of these right yeah but they but they do trap her in a bathroom for an entire day while a a deadly like man-eating spider is just roaming (laughs) the apartment no is actively trying to kill her because of her screams that they have established to track murderous intent all right all right that's great back up back up a tarantula like that could never kill a human What's funny is like that's <laughs> this is tarantula misrepresentation. But that's not right? how that's not how yeah, yeah. because Mimi Mimi even, that it can. But Mimi like even says in the yeah, film yeah. like my Tika kill chief. My Tika should kill chief. Like it is. My Tika can't do shit. But it is more deadly than that bow and arrow. Is this like little like poisonous animal? Bite from a spider like that will cause probably pain and swelling, but it would never kill a human. Okay. One more, one of my favorite disjoints between the two movies, uh, when they're walking in the woods and the snake attacks and Mimi uh, shoots the snake, right? Offers the snake. Yeah. And Tim, Tim Allen is like, is it dead? And then he's like, no, it's sleeping. We'll kill it. Then we'll eat it. In the French one, it's like, is it dead? No, it's just sleeping. Takes the snake, bites his throat. Now it's dead. Boss. <laughs> so fucking cool. Man, missed opportunity. You're right? That said, like dead. that that dart like pierced that snake's neck though. Like yeah, in, that thought, in the that, shot. That boy fucking dead. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say because it like straight up like kebabs it, like skewers <laughs> it. Like <laughs> kebab used as a verb. Which, y- y- yep. Yeah. Kebab. 